As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekul, joined this week by my my good buddy, by a CONCACAF wizard, um, just a general kind of very interesting person, John Arnold. Um, I'm sure many of you listening to this know, know of John, um, but for those of you that do not, he writes the fantastic Getting CONCACAF newsletter. I would urge all of you to go and subscribe to that. Throw him some money if you can. If you can't, just subscribe anyway. You know, there is a free version as well, but subscribe to the pay version. John's doing, he's doing the Lord's work out there. He also covers FC Dallas for the Striker Texas. He's, you know, been around the world covering this game. A lot of deep connections south of the border. Uh, Done a lot of work covering Liga MX and the Mexico national team. Um, So yeah, John, thank you for being here, man. My pleasure, Sam. I, I definitely agree with you that I think a lot of your listeners have probably come into contact with my work because I think, you know, even the name of the podcast, you guys specialize in chaos and making sense of it. And what says chaos like the CONCACAF region? So basically nothing except for maybe the African region, as we learned earlier this week in the Cup of Nations. I, I will say, like, when, you, went down yeah, when you sort of expand your world, it's not just CONCACAF, right? It's, it's everyone has their struggles. I, I saw an African football journalist pointing out that. Several European matches have been ended early in the past calendar year. So I guess not the calendar, you know, 2021. So yeah, uh, it wasn't just Africa, but, uh, but there, there's Eastern Europe, in, my people, <laughs> they get chaotic too. There's, there's plenty of chaos in CONCACAF. There's plenty of chaos in, in MLS within CONCACAF. So yeah, we'll try and make sense of it, man. I'm glad to be here. It's a pleasure. Indeed. But on a, on a very serious note, like John's newsletter, I learned something new every single time. He covers crazy stories from curacao or trinidad or all these different far-fung places that no one else covers uh and it's it's like actually a legitimately really cool and interesting thing that he does so if you don't already please go check it out um but we are going to start not with concacaf stuff but with some fc dallas stuff and i guess you know it is it is concacaf adjacent as well and specifically ricardo pepe uh, a move that we sort of glossed over on last week's show where we spent a lot of time talking about tfc and lorenzo insigne but pepe of course moved to fc augsburg in the german bundesliga for a fee that could get as high reportedly as 20 million dollars 
Earlier this month, he made his debut for Augsburg last weekend, played 30 minutes off the bench for them. Um, John, that's a really, really high number. It's an MLS or it's an FC Dallas record fee. Um, it's second highest ever in MLS potentially. Um, although I think probably third highest cause I'm guessing Alfonso Davies is getting all the way to 22 million. Um, but either way, it's a lot of money for a kid that, you know, while he's flashed for sure in MLS and for the U S national team, doesn't have a ton of experience yet. Um, and for a team in Augsburg, that is not doing so good this year. They're in 16th place in the Bundesliga, which for those of you who are unfamiliar, it's a relegation playoff place. They would play the third place team in the second Bundesliga for, you know, a spot in the big league. If the season ended today, they're one point ahead of Bielefeld, Bielefeld, whatever I tried barely, um, for, for 17th place. And if they fall, fall to that spot, they would automatically go down. So, John, you cover FC Dallas closer than just about anybody. Um, what are the big takeaways that we should have from this move from a Pepe perspective, from a Dallas perspective, from a U.S. national team perspective? What are the headlines in your opinion? Yeah, I would say the move was not necessarily surprising, but in a way there are surprising elements of it, right? I think you're, you're, you're touching on Oxford being a surprising destination. You know, we heard Pepe linked with some of the I guess you'd say, quote unquote, big time clubs. He said in interviews, his dream destinations Real Madrid. Right. There were stronger, I think, links. You know, he had trained with Bayern Munich as part of the, the partnership with FC Dallas. The, yeah. the Wolfsburg Cubs. seemed to be very much in the mix. Seems to be kind of in the catbird seat. Yeah. And, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Augsburg comes with the money. You know, I think all of our reporting was sort of the same on the side of the, of the Atlantic where we were kind of in an agreement that it seemed like FC Dallas didn't want to sell Ricardo Pepe until maybe after the 2022 season, after he had a chance to showcase what he can do, at least U.S. fans hope, at the World Cup. But I had also been hearing for months that the FC Dallas front office was kind of holding out this 20 million U.S. dollar figure yeah. as not the release clause, but sort of a similar, hey, if we get to this number, we're going to be willing to part with the player. So. In that sense, I think it's a win for FC Dallas, a club that's never shy about selling, that always is happy to move players onto Europe. I think the player definitely wanted to move. I think Pepe wanted a challenge, and now he has one. It is a different situation moving to a place like Augsburg than one of the clubs that we mentioned. In a way, I think it can be bad because if Augsburg goes down, that's going to be rough. He also has a lot of pressure on his shoulders. But I also think... Look, we saw from this past weekend where they chuck him in pretty much immediately. He'd been there for like two days and good luck, kid. Here's half an hour and didn't really see much of the ball because Augsburg doesn't really seem to be able to, to get it to him. But if we can have even a marginal impact there, you know, five, six goals and they escape relegation, I think the fans are in love with him, right? Even if the return isn't what you might expect from a $20 million forward. What I'll say about Pepe, and I'm sure you've seen this as well, Sam, covering him since USLV won when he was with North <laughs> Texas SC, yeah. there's very few stages and really no times I can think of where the pressure is too great for Pepe. I'm not saying he'll never hit a ceiling. Every player does. I'm not saying he hasn't had challenges that he's had to overcome. And this certainly, I think, is the biggest challenge he's faced in his young career, turning 19 this past week. But... Yeah. He scores a hat-trick in his first ever game on North Texas. It's like, how is he going to supersede this? He goes out, continues to score goals. They win the championship at a lower level. 
He comes in with FC Dallas, plays sporadically, gets in the playoffs, scores a goal against the Portland Timbers. The next year wins a starting job, becomes the youngest player in MLS to ever score a hat trick. I'm like, okay, this kid, he's in a ceiling, essentially. or He's, he's going to have to get kind of, it's going to be tough for him to kick on. Then he goes to the All-Star game, has kind of a starring role, and yes, an exhibition, but something where all eyes were on him right after that national team decision. And then he goes to the national team and starts scoring there. So I, I think the intangibles for Pepe are off the charts. He's just a tough kid. He's a kid who knows how to score. He knows how to find the back of the net. Mm-hmm. The numbers don't love him as much, right? The analytics are not necessarily there, and I think he has to prove that he's better than those underlying numbers show and that he's as good as kind of the eye test might indicate that he's good enough to, to have this sustained success. So it's a challenge. I mean, it's a challenge, but I think that that Pepe is the kind of player that Dallas fans for sure. And U S fans have been hoping for, for a long time. Now Dallas fans can't enjoy it, but they can root for him as an <laughs> alumnus. And I think you're going to be seeing a fair amount of Augsburg support in Dallas Fort Worth that you didn't see before. Yeah. You know, a lot of, Augsburg awareness in the Metroplex that, that didn't exist <laughs> prior, to, talk about prior to 2022. Augsburg awareness. <laughs> um, it's much needed, you know. So I have a few kind of thoughts on this on this move from a few different perspectives. First of all, from best I can tell, this is far and away Augsburg's largest mm. incoming transfer ever, right? So to your point about being thrown in right away, there are going to be significant expectations placed on him right away. And there's going to be significant playing time given to him yes. right away, which which is good, right? But there is that danger of relegation. And we have to put this, of course, he's got a long, long career ahead of him, you know, knock on wood. He's very young. Um, but we have to put this in the lens of this being a World Cup year and his role with the U.S. team, which as of right now is probably their number one striker, right? And if they go down and if he struggles on a team that, that has struggled all season thus far, you know, what happens then? Does he go on loan somewhere else in the summertime to some first division team? Um, would a first division team in Europe be interested in having him on loan, you know, if he struggles with Augsburg over the next six months? What does that mean for his role with the national team if he's playing in the second division in Germany and not the top flight? And, and what does that mean for the U.S. at striker, right? A position that they are thin in and haven't had much success with outside of these few games where Pepe has scored in qualifying. So that that's one thing to kind of consider the money from a Dallas standpoint, I think is fantastic, you know, and and we'll talk a little bit more about this here as we go, but Dallas has never been shy about selling players, whether that's Academy players or whether that's players that they've signed uh, from abroad to begin with, you know, Carlos Gruezo, for instance, is a player that they brought over from Germany and then sold to Augsburg. A couple of summers ago. I think that was summer of 2019, if my memory serves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and so, you know, this is a club that has been way more active than any other in MLS, like by magnitudes in the international transfer market. Um, they've brought in a ton of money over the last, even last 18 months, I want to say. You know, Brian Reynolds. Yeah. You don't even uh, have to going, go far back. Yeah. Because Brian yeah, Reynolds, Brian, Tanner Tessman. Within Tanner the last Tessman, months, you know that's we're, we're Pepe. You're talking about what thirty million, right? And even there? like you have a couple of players that like Thiago Santos back to Brazil right. for I think yeah. it was two million. Cool. Yeah. There's two million more now. As I think we'll get to, said, what did that do to the team on the field? Right? Exactly. It, it was difficult yeah. to replace even a player that you say, oh, it was just a couple million. That's kind of a bonus. 
Yeah. Yeah, but they didn't have another six. They didn't have another player that mm-hmm. could, could protect that back line, and it showed on the field. But so yeah, as you're saying, I mean, the money absolutely is there, and every time a player is sold, Dan Hunt, the president of the team, Clark Hunt, the the CEO, and both of them, as part of ownership, have said we. Don't take any money out of FC Dallas. We put every dollar we get from these transfer sales back into the team. I don't think that's not true. I take them at their word, but I think that a lot of times it gets invested back into the academy to create more yeah. players. Or maybe in, maybe into the Soccer Hall of Fame or sure. you know something along those lines. I do get the impression that this time is different, but I'm not sure if FC Dallas fans will see it until summer. It seems like they're kind of prepping for a summer move instead of a Which is fine, move. by now, the way. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. If you can have a good enough record in the first half of the season that a player comes in and makes a difference, yeah. But well, MLS, you're always in it, right? Until you're not. Absolutely, and no one's out of it in June or July. So absolutely, they'll have a chance. They'll have a chance. So I do think that with the amount of money that Pepe has gone for, combined with the fact that Nico Estevez, the new manager, is someone that the Hunts have never worked with before, it's the first time, yeah, since the '90s that the Hunts have had a coach from outside, quote unquote, the family. It's either been yeah. an academy. So the f- the first time in Clark and Dan's ownership of the team, essentially, it was yeah. Lamar before, right? Yeah, in the nineties when that happened. Yeah. yeah. So I think that those factors combined mean that there will be more aggression in the transfer market than the past. But I think there's still a fair question of if that's enough for FC Dallas to be a winning team. We know that they're filling one of their DP spots with somebody already on the roster mm. in Jesus Ferreira. You know, it hasn't been officially announced yet, but. From what I've been told and from what other people have been told, you know, he's signing a designated player deal through the 2025 season with a club option for 2026 that's going to pay him on average about $2 million a year. And I think in some ways, super cool story. You know, this is a kid who's been with the club since what, like age nine? No, yeah. You know? When his dad like, was playing for the club. and When his dad, MLS a former MVP. MLS MVP, David Ferreira, a, a DP himself back in the day, <laughs> right? And and he, he, so Jesus comes through and he does well and he had a really good year last year. Eight eight goals and nine assists uh, for a team that struggled, you know, <laughs> um, to get good results. Um, but he still did pretty well. He bro- broke into the national team again. He's in the mix for, I think, the January, the upcoming qualifiers to be on that roster. He was on the roster in November. Um, so it's a really cool story to elevate him and to, to, to send a message to any kid in the academy or outside of the academy that might be considering going to Dallas at some point in their future that, hey, if you come here, not only do you have a chance to be like Ricardo Pepe and get sold for a huge transfer fee and go chase your European dream, but if you don't get sold, then we'll take care of you and we'll make you a very rich man, you know? And like that, I think, is a very cool story. It, I believe he is the first homegrown player in MLS history to be a designated player with his, with his own team, with the team that he came up with. Um, Giassi's artist was a homegrown, but you know, he didn't achieve DP status until he left the galaxy and moved to Columbus. Um, so that's a cool kind of story and designation, but at the same time, he had a couple of years left on his deal. And when I'm, if I'm a Dallas fan and I'm seeing the quotes in the press release from, technical director Andre Zanota saying, yeah, we're going to take this money and we're going to be aggressive and we're going to spend it on players. And then you're filling a DP spot with a guy who, you know, while maybe he deserved it and it's cool story and all of those things, you didn't need to give it to him. You didn't need to. Right. And you only get three of those. And also, and and so I'm like, how ambitious at another 
the only other position you already have a designated player. Yes, in Frank O'Hara. Now, Frank O'Hara's skills and abilities to be a good or great MLS player aside, which we're yet to see. Yeah. I'm not sure you want two DP number nines. And that's what you have. I think, I think Jesus is a great story. I don't, I don't want to take away from him. He's had a, a great year kind of quietly and in a place where on the field where it's not his best. I think that both Nico Estevez and Greg Berhalter, now of course they're on the same coaching staff up until last month, yeah. but they both see him as a number nine, which I think will be quite interesting for FC Dallas. But also, former FC Dallas manager Luchi Gonzalez also was ready to put him as a number nine before the start of the 2021 season. Jesus was injured. and Pepe had other plans. And, and, and of course, yeah, <laughs> you, you, end up yeah. With this, you end up with this phenomenon. And, and, and Jesus has this running buddy kind of relationship with Pepe where he was setting him up often. He was yep. playing off of him well. So it'll be fascinating to see how he lines up on the field. But in some ways, it feels like FC Dallas, quote unquote, got there number nine, went out and signed a designated player forward that fans have been hoping for, except it's a guy who they already know. I mean, I think it does take some of the luster off, despite the fact that, as you mentioned, it's a great story. I think Jesus Ferreira is a good player, a good guy. And in some ways, it can make business sense because I know there are European teams sniffing around about potentially selling Jesus. So in some ways, maybe FC Dallas is trying to send the message, hey, just because we sell Pepe, Reynolds, Tesman, Reggie Cannon, all these different homegrowns mm-hmm. doesn't mean we're going to sell the entire, you know, until the cupboard's bare. While that might be the message, it's also one that I think fans will be skeptical of because of the factors that I mentioned. So, you know, it's, it, it's weird because you don't want to take anything away from Ferreira. And, and it's not bad business to sign him up to this extension necessarily. It might, it might be though, because you only, there, you only get three DP spots. And and he was on your roster. He was already making targeted allocation money, level money. It wasn't like he was on a minimum salary deal or something like that. And he had two years. He was under club control for two more years. You know, from the outside, it doesn't appear that they needed to make this move right now. And from what I've heard, yeah, he attracted European interest, right? But I'm, I'm curious now, what happens to that European interest when it's okay, we have to pay a transfer fee and we're going to maybe have to pay him $2 million or so a year? Because I don't know how many clubs in Europe would be willing to pay that kind of money to Jesus Ferreira at this point in time. And so unless he's willing to take a pay cut to go to Europe, maybe he just lowered his chances of making a move. And and again, congrats to him for this contract. This is a life-changing deal, right? And like, well-earned and like deserved from his perspective. I'm just saying from a Dallas point of view, because of the scarcity of these DP spots and how much they mean to success in MLS and, and the fact that he was under club control, I'm not sure it's one that I would have done. No, it's fair. I think for fans to have some frustration because Franco Hada is still in the slot. If you have one DP slot filled right now, let's say Jesus Ferreira, I think fans say, okay, let's sure. see what we do yeah. with the two. But even look at last year, all, all of the DP slots utilized Frank Ojada, Brian Acosta. Yeah, who's gone now. Go. Yeah. So, and, and kind of hit a weird patch with FC Dallas, despite the fact that I think he was kind of a player that they, they should have relied on more. So, yeah. it's, I, I do think it's a, it's a moment where FC Dallas has a big opportunity to rebuild. But they need to actually rebuild. They can't just do Do, do, do you think they, they will? Where do you, where do you think they go from here? It's tough to say because we haven't seen it in the past, right? And that's what I'm saying. I think this is, you know, it's easy to say, oh, Nico's new era as sort of marketing material. But at the same time, 
I think they either have to do that or have to say kind of candidly to fans, this is who we are. And despite the mm-hmm. fact that every year Dan Hunt sits in front of the fans and says, we are going to win MLS Cup this year, something they've never done since 1996. Yeah. This is who we are and this is our identity and, and we're fine. Right. So I, I think in a way, how they rebuild this, the next six months, because let's give them the summer as well, really goes a long way toward convincing whether or not this club is going to be any different in the future or if we're just going to see the same, same old FC Dallas. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It's going to be determinative in terms of their identity, right? And for me, personally, I'll believe it when I see it, mm-hmm. that it changes on the way. You know, they've been behaving this way for a long time. They've said things. You know, when they fired Luchi Gonzalez, it was, we need to win MLS Cup. That was our mandate at the beginning of the year. And they've sold millions and millions and millions of dollars of players, received millions of dollars in transfer fees, and they haven't turned around and really done anything to replace those guys with those millions of dollars. And so until they actually do that, until they take that step, I'm not going to believe that they will, <laughs> if that makes sense. No, and, um, I, and I, I think, think I think they've earned that skepticism. No, I think skepticism is the right approach in a lot of ways. Maybe they were just bitter generals saying that, but that's the vibe I get from fans Maybe. as well, because you know, Andres Inota, you mentioned, I think he's done a really excellent job selling players to Europe, and that's at his previous stops as well in Brazil. But we've yet to see him have a great off-season where you'd say FC Dallas signed well. And since the sad departure of the late Fernando Clavijo and then Luis Muzi moving from FC Dallas' yeah. front office to Orlando City, FC Dallas hasn't really signed, you know, you could say maybe they signed a player or two who have been successful, but they haven't signed a player who's a difference maker like they did with Mario Diaz coming in, with Fabian Castillo coming in. The players that ended up helping the team win their only trophies of the last decade with the 2016 Open Cup and the supporters. Yep, absolutely. Um, so yeah, FC Dallas, great at development, great at selling players. They deserve credit for that. They deserve praise for that. They've been at the forefront and leading the charge in those ways in Major League Soccer for years now, and they're really seeing the results of it. Um, but man, if they could combine that with a little bit more ambition and a little bit more efficiency and a little bit more success and some more resources devoted towards the top of their roster, I think they could, you know, I think that could go a really long way in turning them into not just a good developer, but maybe into one of the best clubs in the entire league as a whole. So anyway, with that, John, let's take a quick break. We'll be back afterwards with more discussion about some Mexico stuff, some other Texas stuff. We might do a Texas three-step. I don't know. I feel weird saying that. Anyway, um, stay with us. We'll be right back. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Allocation disorder, Sam Stasekul, John Arnold. We are back. We are talking about the U.S. men's national team's biggest rival, 
south of the border, Mexico. Of course, the U.S. beat them in Cincinnati in November. Mexico then went on to lose their next game at the Teca in Edmonton to Canada. Um, so they are coming off of two straight losses. They are sitting in third place in the octagonal, tied with Panama on points, but ahead of them on tiebreakers. And they have three very, you know, very big games coming up. First at Jamaica, and then home for two uh, against Costa Rica and Panama. Both of those games will be played behind closed doors due to FIFA sanctions because of the homophobic chants that happen sometimes, unfortunately, at Mexico games. So that's kind of the overall picture. I think it's fair to say there was a lot of angst um, after the November window. Um, but, John, you follow that team a lot, lot more closely than I do. Um, so how would you kind of describe the overall state of things for Mexico as we head into the final six matches of qualifying? I would say things are tense. I think that there was a lot of frustration and maybe even soul-searching after the losses to the North American rivals. On the one hand, I think Tata Martino himself and sort of a, a class of Mexico fan and journalist kind of kept it in perspective. That was always going to be the most difficult window. You know, you're going on the road against the two toughest teams. Two toughest games. Two toughest games in the entire cycle. And you got them back-to-back. So it's tough, and it should. But I think that in these games, and even in some of Mexico's earlier qualifiers, I'm thinking of the draw against Canada and the Azteca, you've seen some of the deficiencies that this team has exposed. And I don't think Mexico fans like that. And I think that often... In with as historically powerful as Mexico is, with as deep as their rosters usually are, a lot of times those deficiencies can be fixed quickly. I'm not sure there are quick fixes to some of these issues. I'm talking about the fact that you know your one of your two-way midfielders, Andres Guardado, looks like he might be too old to make it to Qatar, at least as a starter. Hector Herrera on the other side, perhaps also has struggled to keep the ball, to do what he needs to do in possession to find players and pass well. He's been guilty of a lot of turnovers during qualification games. That said, sometimes he's redeemed himself, but there are some issues for Mexico. And the other one is the lack of center back depth. I think that was really on display in the last window. And some of those wounds are kind of self-inflicted. You have Johan Vasquez, who's doing really well at Genoa and Serie A, is a very bright prospect for Mexico at the back line. And yet, Tata Martino didn't use him until he had to had a player suspended and a player injured, all of a sudden Vasquez is starting against the United States on the road and probably would have been good for him to get some experience it's a tough debut. qualifier before yeah. that. And Mexico had some relatively friendly games. They're not friendly, so look up qualifiers, but they had games against teams like Honduras at home where you expect Mexico to win and they didn't utilize Vasquez in those games. So I think that there were some you know, fair criticism. It's easy to, to kind of paint this Mexico press as just vicious for the sake of viciousness. And sometimes I think that's true. But also there are legitimate criticisms we made about this team right now and they're being made. That said, we know that winning cures everything. It's possible they pick up six or nine points in this window and everything's smooth sailing, right? So when you look at what's coming for a three big game in Jamaica, against a kind of refreshed, revitalized Jamaica that just changed coaches, that <laughs> so has a lot of don't, don't know what to expect from them. They could be very difficult. They could, you know, roll They could over, do what they did know. against Panama in the very first game at home in the this, in this cycle where they, they just didn't have any cohesion. They basically played without a central midfielder. So 
you don't know what you're going to get. Mexico is going to want to get all three points from that game. And if they do that, set the tone well, you like their chances going forward. So I guess it feels like a pivotal moment for Mexico. And I think the attitude around the national team reflects that because it does feel tense. It does feel like there's not much room for error. And just like the United States had their bobble in 2018, missing the World Cup, Mexico had to go through the playoffs in Relatively big right? bobble. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a big bobble. <laughs> it's, a, it's a big bobble. But no, Mexico had to go through the playoff in 2014. It's easy to yeah. forget that. And, and only made it there because Graham Zussi scored at the death in Panama. That's right. And so, you know, Oribe Paranta, a critical part of that roster, retired yesterday. That's off Oribe Paranta. He was still playing. Yeah, kind of. He was playing. He was on the Chivas roster. It was kind of a... But no, still, I mean, you know, still, still rolling, still a, a top-class player. But, you know, it, Mexico fans, Mexico as a team, like I said, Andres Guardado still in this roster. Again, on this roster, you have more chill on this roster. Those guys remember that. And I think that there is yeah. a kind of healthy level of worry right now around the Mexico team. It's not Sky's phone, nor should it be, but things Urgency. are tense. Yeah. Um, they were kind of an older group, the one in November. Um, you know, there's a lot of talk about the U.S. and a lost generation. And you mentioned some of the guys that maybe are coming up with Mexico. Do they have kind of that next crop of young players um, for those who? don't follow Mexican soccer very closely. And should we expect to see some of that crop here in the next three matches that are coming up in just a couple of weeks? I think yes and no. I think that Mexico, I harp on it all the time, and I'm sure Mexico fans who listen to things I have to say are tired of hearing about it, but we're talk, we spent the first part of the show talking about Ricardo Pepe being sold to Europe and kind of this number being hit. We can talk about all sorts of MLS players moving to Europe, Americans moving abroad, Americans who have maybe ancestry who go over early and are able to sign youth deals at 14 or 15 because they get a passport through whatever means of ancestry. It doesn't really happen in Mexico. There is this idea for many Mexican clubs that they need to retain that talent. Even when you look at the, the off-season, uh, the biggest transfer moves within Liga Mekis are Mexican internationals, young rising stars moving to other Mexican clubs and signing deals like the ones that Fer Jesus Ferreira were talking about generally that will keep them at those clubs for several years. So that development that takes place when players get that top coaching from Europe, when they get that competitive spirit, when they see examples of top European internationals at, at their club and form those relationships, isn't happening for a lot of Mexican players. Is there another generation coming through? Yes, I, I think there is. You look at the success they had at the Olympics. First of all, making the Olympics. Mm-hmm. And, and second, you know, putting... <laughs> what, in, wait, sorry. What are the... <laughs> men's soccer is, is contested at the Olympics? <laughs> and, and then putting in good performances. You have some of these guys from that Olympic generation. But what you want is after Tokyo for them to push on. And instead, a lot of them are going to other teams in Mexico or staying with their current right. club. So I, I think, in a way, Martino already has his core. There's a couple... Doubts that I think are in his mind. He hasn't called in a player who declined to go to the Olympics and Harada Atteada, who is playing in, in Belgium, who could be a, a quality fullback for them. Yeah. I think that central midfield or that two way midfield spot, they're called interiores in the 4 3 3 in Mexico. It makes it sound like we're talking about a central midfielder. We're not. We're talking about the players next to the central midfielder. I think that he wants to, to kind of spruce that position up, refresh it, because Guadalajara and Herrera, again, I'm not sure you can play them both at the same time. But who's going to do it? Eric Gutierrez or Paul 
Roberto Arrabo, maybe, but he stayed in Mexico. Charlie Rodriguez, Go back maybe. to the Jonah Dos Santos well. Jonah Dos Santos, who's now with Americo, we'll have to see how he kicks on with club form. So there are some question marks. And, and while I think there are plenty of young players to get excited about for Mexico, and I think 2026 looks like they might do really well at home soil, this group seems consolidated and there's not a lot of there's not a lot of guys like Ricardo Pepe, right? A guy who could break in, immediately make yeah. an impact and, and you know that the coach feels comfortable playing right away, at least from where I yeah. see. There's one player. Or the coach is the coach is forced to play right away more in That's the case true. of the US. That's true. Know? There's one player who everyone's really excited about, who played in that Mexico game against Chile, uh, the friendly in December in Austin, I was there, who hasn't made his first team debut yet because it's with Arsenal. Yeah, he's also yeah. eligible for Canada, but I think Tata Martino is always a kind of cautious wait and see manager. Flores might be good enough in a position that, of need for Mexico that it's possible he ends up being on the roster. But uh, it's also tough to if see because Martino's yeah. been so cautious. And if he's not getting first team first team minutes, that's a big call to make. So. Yeah, I don't know. that He is a very intriguing prospect, and it is kind of an interesting story, too, just because, you know, we, we've talked so much and we've written so much and heard so much about dual nationals between the U.S. and Mexico and who they'll choose, right? And now we have the rare dual national between Mexico and Canada. Um, so <laughs> kind of an interesting one, definitely one interesting to keep an eye on. Not too many transfers, as you mentioned, even among the more senior players for Mexico here this window. Tecatito Corona is headed from Porto to Sevilla. Um, Carlos Salcedo might be making his triumphant return to Major League Soccer, moving from Tigres to Toronto FC, per reports. I've been told that might not be all the way done yet, um, but there's definitely a lot of smoke there. Um, that one raises an eyebrow for me because Carlos Salcedo is making a lot of money at Tigres. A lot of money. I don't know the exact figure, but I think it's fair to say a couple to several million dollars per season after taxes. Um, to make that kind of money in, in MLS, you'd probably have to be making $6 million gross in Toronto. I don't see that being a wage that they would pay, um, particularly since a transfer fee would likely be involved unless there's some sort of swap going on with Jefferson Soteldo or Josie Altidore, maybe. <laughs> a lot of permutations there. But I'm curious, John, your take on, on Salcedo potentially moving to Toronto FC, both from Toronto's perspective and from Mexico and Salcedo's perspective. Yeah, it's interesting because Salcedo fell out with the national team. I don't believe he's been called to the roster since the Gold Cup. Right. He's a player who, look, I mean, you know, we know him. He's been around yeah, for a long pl- time. He's played at RSL. RSL, right? His he, first day in Salt Lake City was my first day in Salt Lake City, as a matter of fact. I'm sure you guys yeah. reflect on that all the time. We do. He told me in an elevator in Tucson once that he was going to make the World Cup team in 2018. And I think this was like, he hadn't even played 10 MLS games at this point. And I said, okay, Carlos. So if you make it, you're giving me tickets. All right, buddy. And uh, needless to say, he did not get me tickets, <laughs> but he did make it. He did. He was. I mean, that's that's the weird thing about Salcedo. He was probably Mexico's best defender in 2018 at the World Cup. You might even just remember the probably that he was fantastic. He was really, really good in Russia. Against and, Germany, he was awesome. God. Was and awesome I think their best player in the, the ill-fated Brazil game. Yet, instead of pushing on from there, he was at, uh, he was in Germany. Yeah, Frankfurt. And comes back, comes back to Mexico. And he's played with Tigres. 
I can tell you that he was linked credibly with Marseille in past transfer windows for a potential league on spot. This window he's been linked somewhat credibly with yes, Toronto, like we're talking about, and Palmeiras as well in Brazil. Yep. He's a player who needs a move, I think, because despite the fact that he's playing with Tigres and is a part of that back line together, just scored a goal. Him, just scored a goal against Santos Laguna. Weirdly, his third straight goal against Santos in Liga Mekis. <laughs> just loves playing Santos for some reason. He's uh, a Santos killer. There we go. Saint murderer. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so whatever reason, I, I think that that mentality has been you know, questioned a lot in Mexico, whether it comes from a good place or not. And I think that that's the case with the national team. Tata Martino has shown He's a guy who, I wouldn't call it keeps a grudge, but if you're not interested in the national team, he's not interested in you. He's not calling yeah. Carlos Vela. He's not calling Chicharito. Both of those guys would be of enormous help right now. But for one reason or another, they're not in. I mentioned Arteaga before. And there's a couple other s- scenarios where Martino has kind of said, no, you know what? I don't think you're right yeah. for the national team or, or for what have you. So do, do you think, think the, cl- the door is that closed on Salcedo? Because that's not my sense. I don't think the door is that closed on Salcedo. I think it's that closed on Chicharito. I think it's that closed sure. on, on some other players. And I think some players will close the door as well. Right? So, But I do think a move would help Salcedo because I think one of the knocks that gets leveraged against him, fair or not, is that he doesn't take things seriously. His talent is clear. His versatility yeah. is clear. His ability to ping balls over the top from, you know, it's something that in Tata Martino's system is cherished. The center back who can skip lines with a pass over the top. Right yeah. foot or left foot sometimes. Think, think about uh, Leandro Gonzalez Pires, to, to put it in MLS terms. A guy that could really kind of do that sort of thing. Sure. I think not, that not to Salcedo's level. But, be, you know. And look, you saw the lack of center back depth in the previous window. So he's a player who I think if he were able to get kind of a fresh start and be able to go to the manager and say, listen, I understand now the seriousness. Or whatever he has to say, I think it could easily be that he's back. And I think a move would help. Would it make Toronto better? Look, I'm t- I'm saying that yes. he has these qualities, right? He's a, he's a he would be a top center back in MLS, and mm-hmm. can you afford him on that number? I'm not so sure. You know, is that well, right I think move, but, I think they can. Yeah, right. They've made that clear. Uh, <laughs> they can afford whatever the hell they want, but you know, is it wise to use a DP spot sure. on him? Sure, so that's a different question. Yeah, like I said, I mean, I, I do think he immediately becomes one of the better center backs in MLS. So. Mm-hmm. It's an intriguing move. I think he could use it for himself, for the national team. And I think it would help Toronto, but it would be quite fascinating to see if Tigres gets something back. Both of those players that you mentioned they could use, even though they have Andre Piergeniak, he's not getting any younger. The attack is sort of uh, undergoing changes. And Miguel Herrera has a different scheme. It's only a second tournament in charge. Tukaferenti was there for so, so long. It's a new era in Tigres. And I think that, you know, it would be a very, very interesting swap. Yeah, especially if it's Josie teaming with Herrera. That would be uh that would be kind of funny. Engine, yeah. Maybe Engine, yeah. I mean what? I mean, you run a four four two with those guys. I don't up know. Top? I don't know how those two work together. I don't top. either. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if they're both engaged and they're both healthy, they'd probably create a lot of damage. I, <laughs> I could say that. Um maybe two big ifs on that front. Um one last Mexico international with MLS connections that is in the news this week that I wanted to ask you about. And he's a bit more fringe in terms of the Mexican national team, but Alan Pulido, a striker for sporting Kansas city arrived before the 2020 season season to much fanfare. And he's done really well when he's been on the field and he's missed a lot of time due to injuries and the news earlier this week, he will miss the entire season due to injury 
this year, a knee injury that he initially picked up while on duty with Mexico. He had surgery on it. Surgery didn't really take, and he's going to have another operation in Los Angeles, I believe, on Friday uh, to correct that. He'll be out 9 to 12 months. So, you know, out not just for the MLS season, but any chance of him going with Mexico to Qatar should they make it um, pretty much out the window as well. Uh, so a blow for him, a huge blow for Kansas city who will not, you know, you don't get to replace the DP spot. So that's a DP off the books for them. They only get two healthy ones for the year. And that's that. Um, and you know, John, I'm curious your thoughts on this from really kind of an MLS contender perspective, because Kansas city is a team that has done very well in the regular season, but hasn't been able to make the leap in the playoffs. And now they're down, you know, their highest paid, biggest money, most high profile, star striker um so yeah and then any chance do you think he would have had any shot with mexico in 2022 yeah it's too bad i mean you never want to see anyone get injured we don't we root for players to do their best and and give us something to write about and give fans something to cheer about so it's too bad i I do actually think he would have had a chance to make the roster as i mentioned chicharito's frozen out mexico's clear starter at number nine is raul jimenez after that the depth really drops off They've naturalized Julio yeah. Funes Mori, who is a great player, and I would love to see him in the last one day. But uh, is kind of back to FC Dallas, maybe. <laughs> Sueño MLS. People have said it for a long time, and I, I've, I've always been fascinated about the potential of that happening. But, uh, so he, he does one thing, really does it well. He kind of fits his profile, and, and, and that's him. Scores some goals sometimes, but not always. And kind of goes through these peaks and valleys. I guess you could say that about a lot of forwards, but he's kind of the next, he's the best of the of the rest, I would say, after Raul. And then I think Tulido is right there. You know, the other guys he's competing against, Alexis Vega, JJ Macias, who's not in any sort of form after his move to Spain. Martin. Yeah, Henry Martin. I he'll probably like now you could say Martin will probably make the roster unless like a young guy like Santiago Jimenez comes on or something. But yeah, I think Toledo had a better chance than maybe people would have thought just from watching his recent Mexico performances, which haven't been incredible, and also what he does in MLS. But I think, you know, for Kansas City's perspective, like you're saying, a massive blow because they're a better team with him. There's no doubt about that. You know, he's missed time and they struggle when he does, I think. So it's too bad. Uh, and I do think that he would have had an opportunity to make this Mexico roster because the forward depth is not where it was last week. Yeah, and not where it would be if if certain other players were not frozen out either. Uh, I think it's fair to say. Um, Yeah, definitely a shame for Pelito, definitely a shame for Kansas City as well. They'll have to navigate this season without one of their designated players, and that's that's a big loss for any MLS team to take. We'll take one more break and talk a little bit more MLS afterwards. Go around, you know, that aforementioned Texas three-step. We're going to take steps two and three here with John. Talk a little Houston and a little bit of Austin. Stay with us. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. 
dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. We are back. Allocation Disorder. Sam Stasekel joined this week by John Arnold. And we are going through a part of the world that John knows very well. Tejas, Texas, the state, country, republic, whatever the hell you want to call it, of Texas. Um, we talked about Dallas at the top of the show and Ricardo Pepe and Pepe, excuse me, and Jesus Ferreira. Uh, but let's talk a little bit about the two other teams in the Lone Star State, the Houston Dynamo and Austin FC, both with significant changes this winter. Um, Houston, more notably, I think it's fair to say they hired Paula Nagamura as their head coach roster is very much in flux still, um, under new GM, Pat Onset, who himself was only brought on at the beginning of, of November. So still, I think a lot to learn about Houston. And then with Austin, things are a little bit more settled there. Same front office, same head coach in Josh Wolf, similar roster, although they, they're switching out a DP as well. Tomas Pochettino going on loan to river plate. Uh, Alexander Ring was elevated uh, to designated player status. Um, and a team that is intriguing to me, I can get into those reasons later. But John, you said something to me in the break um, that I think is interesting to hit on. Austin, you said, has ambition, even though they probably have less reason to be ambitious <laughs> of of the three Texas teams. So elaborate on that and, and kind of where you see these two teams here in the offseason and, and going forward. Yeah, I just feel like Austin, when you look at the ownership situation of the other clubs, a new owner coming in for Houston and FC Dallas. In a huge city, yeah. In a massive city, a city that you know now outstood coach Tab Ramos correctly pointed out in his introductory press conference. Of course, he has his own tie to Uruguay. But the Houston Metro is as big as Uruguay, and Uruguay is competing in World Cups, and the Dynamo can't even imagine to imagine, manage to produce one home one player that yeah. really excels. With, it's not great. With apologies to a few of them who have made the first memorable Yes. I think that Austin, with the energy they have from the, the, the season, despite the fact that their ownership is maybe not as... Loaded? Yeah, I guess that's a good way to put it, right? Like, <laughs> despite that, they are making moves that I think make them better. They've got the core of the team still in place. Josh Wolf, I think, has a lot of pressure on his shoulders because there is expectation when there is a fan base. The fan base was enormous from season one. Austin fans really care, and that's beautiful. Dallas and Houston, way, way, way bigger cities, should have way more fans. Probably don't when you actually look at the numbers, which is a shame. I think you, I think you can remove the probably. <laughs> but... I, I think, you know, it doesn't quite, and, and look, like there's other places in the world where like soccer doesn't make sense and you have these kind of tiny cities that are these hotbeds of soccer. Maybe Austin becomes that in Texas, but I think that, you know, Dallas is shown with its homegrown situation and the number of players that are produced in the DFW area, even going back before the FC Dallas Academy, Dallas Texans, amazing club history. You know, Dallas is a soccer city. Houston in the same way with the immigrant population, with the sheer number of different people playing the game from all over different parts of the world. It's a soccer city, and yet we haven't seen those teams kind of capture that. Austin, to their credit, is being ambitious. I think, you know, Alex Ring as a DP, I think it's fine, you know, especially with the fact that they brought in Johan Valencia from Colombia to kind of fill a, mm -hmm. a deeper-lying center of the midfield role, so it seems like Ring will once again be able to to explore more. I think they're fixing a lot of the holes that they had. Sebastian Drusi joined last year, 
has a little bit of time under his belt, I think could be a very yeah. exciting. And he was he was good. He, he was, was good very, last year. Yeah. And I think that comfort plus a couple of pieces show Austin's ambition. Look. Sam, all of these teams have to be ambitious. The Texas teams were garbage last year. I mean, like, I don't want to put it like that, but I mean, none of them made the playoffs. None of them were very good. The, the biggest accomplishment was FC Dallas winning Copa Tejas, which one of the Texas teams has to win because it's the Texas rivalry trophy. So I think credit to Austin for what they've done. I'm fascinated to see what Houston's build looks like, especially with, I think, pieces to be added on the back on step, but decent building blocks too. You know, I think the center back partnership with Tim Parker. And teenage Adibu, uh, it's well paid, right? Yeah, it, it's, be it better of, be good. Yeah, it it's the highest be, paid one in the league by it a better lot. Be good. But I think it could be. I think it could be. We've seen some okay early returns. Uh, now the question is, what else can they do? And I think, you know, the coaching hire, Sam, what, what do you make of it, man? Because there were a lot of rumored names that I think were more exciting than the ones, than the one that actually arrived. Yeah, well, some insight into this for those who weren't following it so closely. Uh, Houston seemed to have several preferred candidates to the one that they ended up hiring. Um, Pablo Mastroeni interviewed there. I was told that, you know, they were ready to offer him the job, maybe even did offer him the job until new RSL owner David Blitzer came in and made it made it so Pablo needed to stay in Salt Lake. Gave him an offer he couldn't refuse with RSL. Um, Luchi Gonzalez, I was told was someone that they were very interested in before he ended up signing um, with the U.S. national team as Greg Berhalter's assistant and completing the trade of jobs with Nico <laughs> Estevez, uh, <laughs> uh, which is interesting in its own way. Um, so, the, I mean, those are two right there. Jaime Lozano was a guy who was reported as, as the, you know, being close to being the Houston head coach. And, you know, I was told that they were interested in him. I don't know how far along that did or did not get, but... Um, you know, they end up with Paolo Nagamura, who, you know, was one of the three finalists for the Chicago Fire job that ended up going to Ezra Hendrickson. He had been the Sporting Kansas City 2 coach for a long time. Obviously, um, an impactful player in MLS for many, many years for a few different teams. Um, I don't know much about him as a coach. I'm curious to see what he does. He's a younger guy. You know, he's never coached a first team before. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, he wasn't the first choice. That doesn't mean he won't be good, right? And it doesn't mean really anything. Um, but you know, it is, it is kind of an interesting wrinkle to start off life with as head coach of the Houston Dynamo from his standpoint. What, what about you? No, I, I, having watched Liga Mekis, having watched the Mexico Olympic team, I was really intrigued by the idea of Jimmy Lozano. And especially when it was seeming that that was the direction they were going in, I thought, Ooh, that's a really good hire. And then when it doesn't get made, it's kind of like, Oh, well, okay. I, I guess like, it's the Seems curse like of, it, yes, yeah. exactly. It's the curse of these rumors. It's the curse of, the, and, and who knows, like you're saying, you know, as much as we tried to report it out, as much as my colleagues at the Striker Texas have tried to dig and find exactly what happened, we're not in the room. We don't know. So, you know, maybe that wasn't something they were excited about. Maybe they went in a different direction because of a reason that we don't know about. But I, I really did think that that was going to be um, a, a really exciting move. I, I guess that it's fascinating to see the trends and how they change. For a while, we were seeing no international managers. Then we were seeing all, all international managers. Now we're seeing a lot of former players and guys yeah. who maybe MLS didn't experience have, maybe didn't yeah. have success in the second division as coaches, or at least their record didn't show that. Well, but right, but maybe they, they weren't meant to win. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So uh, it, it, it will be fascinating to see. I think that all three of the the Texas head coaches, you know, Nico Estevez in his first 
It's not actually technically his first first team job, but it's his first first division first team job. Uh, it yes. will be interesting to see how he. Except for a brief interim it. stint once upon a time back in back in Spain with Valencia. First um, against Real Madrid. That's wild, isn't it? Um, actually, while we're here with Estevez, they fired Luchi Gonzalez because he wasn't, you know, winning MLS Cup with a team that they sold a bunch of parts from and didn't really replace. Um, and then they brought in somebody with a very similar resume Extremely. to Luchi Gonzalez. Uh, that's weird, right? I don't I get mean, it. Okay. And I think even weirder is the comments that were made after Luigi Gonzalez firing at the press conference were indicative that FC Dallas felt that they needed someone with some experience. They felt that they needed someone who had the history as a first team head coach, and then they didn't bring that person in. I think that Estevez is impressive. I think that he is a good hire. And like I mentioned, I think that a critical element that I think can get lost in the national picture, which is why I'm kind of hitting on it on this program, is that he doesn't have experience with the hunts. I think that's actually pretty important. Yeah. That he's a he's an outside voice. He's a fresh face. I, I think that's yeah. big. But I was certainly expecting to when I was reporting and trying to figure out who they're interviewing, who they're chatting with, I was expecting more old dudes <laughs> more guys with experience you know i mean even some of the guys that <laughs> old like, guys you know lafc yeah. was linked to juan carlos osorio that's a name who i know that he was uh, when he was the mexico manager had a very good relationship with fc dallas front office with with people who some of them who were there still some of them who have left right that's a name i was surprised didn't necessarily pop up there's a couple other you know guys like that who had first team experience maybe even coaching a national team maybe coaching a, a club but i was surprised that more of those names didn't pop up so, yeah, I think the the firing of Luchi Gonzalez is something that puzzled the FC Dallas fan base. And Everyone, I really. I don't think we've yeah. gotten great answers for that. I think the caliber of jobs, as you mentioned, was linked to the Houston Dynamo job, linked to the FC Cincinnati job, linked to the RSL job, and eventually landing as Greg Berhalter's assistant speaks to the fact that his reputation is still well intact in the U.S. soccer community. As I would say, as someone who covered him for the last several years closely, it should be. Yeah, and pretty well positioned, uh, you know, to go to a World Cup with the U.S. national team and then maybe come back into MLS as a head coach in 2023 as well. So it could be a fun little journey for Luchi Gonzalez. Uh, John, this has been a fun little journey with you uh, on this on this podcast episode. How about that segue, by the way? Pretty proud yeah. of myself for that one. If you're uh, lucky, I'll you teach so you how to Texas three-step next time. Whoa. I mean, that sounds like a, uh, some sort of TikTok dance that I don't know about and never will. Um, but thank you so much sincerely for joining me. It's been fun. For those of you that don't, go subscribe to Getting CONCACAF. Go subscribe to The Striker Texas. Go read his coverage there along with the rest of the squad over at The Striker. Uh, and thanks for joining me, man. really appreciate it. My pleasure. I appreciate those clubs. Please, please pay Please yeah, pay him. He deserves it. He deserves it. Um, I, I am Sam. He is John. Thanks for listening. This has been Allocation Disorder. <laughs>